Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration in memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, a good guest today, Charmelee S. McCutcheon. Uh, she's a postdoctoral research associate in the Department of Microbiology and Plant Microbiology, uh, also associated with the Laboratories of Molecular Anthropology and Microbiome Research at OU, Ohio University. So, Charmelee, thanks for coming. Thank you, Richard. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So within the world of uh, bacteria, are you working on antibiotic resistance or, you know, bacterial physiology? Like, what's your focus right now? Well, I'm trained as a molecular microbiologist. Uh, my research currently focuses on understanding the evolution of antibiotic resistance in gut bacteria. So we study the impact of lifestyle choices like use of antibiotics for example, um, on the microbial composition in the gut, as well as how that changes the bacteria's overall response to different antibiotics. So, yeah, what are, um, so are you looking for interventions, you know, dietary or health interventions or medical, like small molecule drug interventions? Like what, what would be the issues in which an intervention is needed, first of all? Well, um, not Really, we are not doing any intervention as of right now. Uh, we are currently actually the, uh, you know, today as, as much as we understand about the antibiotic resistance, we know that it has been linked to widespread use of antibiotics. So um, it would be interesting to see that how the microbial population in, our, in the gut of our ancestors uh, where and how much resistant they were to the current modern-day antibiotic. So oh, we are uh, privileged to study a population 
who lives in the remote village inside the Amazon forest in Peru. And we have their uh, fecal material, which we study to understand the composition of total microbiome, microbial population that they have, and also see the uh, genetic markers for antibiotic resistance uh, that we know of, whether or not they are present in the gut microbial population of the hunter-gatherer population that we are studying. And well, well, one that, quick question here. You, you sure. said the genetic markers for antimicrobial resistance, is that the person's genes or the microbes' uh, genes? Or both? These are the microbial genes, yes. Are there, you know, I, I haven't asked this question. Are there different populations that um, for some reason they have a, because of something in their genes, people that are able to, uh, to fend off antibiotic-resistant bacteria of certain kinds, or no? Is there any correlation there at all? So uh, that's an active area of research. Uh, actually, that's another um, dimension that I'm also interested in. So um, there is a very intricate relationship that is uh, that happens between the host and its microbial population, uh, meaning that how, what is the host eating or how how their uh, uh, what is their lifestyle, for example, whether they do exercise, whether they, um, you know, um, they're happy or um, uh, places they travel, uh, all these actually impact the overall microbiome composition inside the host, right? So there, and within the microbial population, there are microbes who are making sure that the pathogenic microbe are in check. So definitely host uh, behavior or host lifestyle uh, impacts on at least controlling the infectious pathogens. Um, so what is the direct relationship? Like how, is, how, how does it happen at the chemical or molecular level is still an active area of research. Okay, well, yeah, please continue. So what, what's your focus? Where do you think the, uh, the new knowledge is going to come from in your studies in particular? Um, so currently I am just studying that what is the scope and extent of antibiotic resistance in the gut microbial population, in hunter-gatherer population, which resembles our ancestors. And then comparing that to the gut microbial population and their antibiotic resistance profile in the population who are more urban or rural agricultural population uh, who are exposed to modern day antibiotics gives me an idea that uh, whether or not our ancestral microbiome was already poised, well poised to um, tolerate the modern day antibiotic. So understanding that first of all would Fill, a, fill the gap of knowledge in uh, understanding the molecular mechanism that is involved in resistance to diverse group of antibiotics because historically our um, understanding of antibiotic resistance comes from mostly clinical samples or clinical clinically relevant bacteria. So definitely understanding the ancestral microbiome would help us to fill fill this gap. Um, At the same time, uh, this will provide a foundation to investigate deeply 
to characterize the molecular mechanism in the bacterial population uh, that is controlling the overall um, physiology and metabolism of this bacteria and how that is related to host metabolism and uh, therefore there like what is the um, relationship between the host and the microbiome population that is controlling the ultimate outcome which is the um, which is the response of those bacteria to antimicrobial drugs well how are you supposed to look at hunter-gatherer populations i mean i would think these are people like out in the bush that never have antibiotics they're having plant medicine are you talking about like rural versus urban or are you truly finding populations of people that are hunter-gatherers still well we do have we do have sample from hunter-gatherer population in the amazon forest so we are start currently studying their fecal microbiome and uh, we have published uh uh, our group has published research on composition uh, of microbial population, hunter-gatherer gut. So uh, we do have sample from hunter-gatherer population who are uh, naive to modern antibiotics, synthetic antibiotics. Well, definitely they do practice uh, na- natural medicine. So and um, antibiotics, as we all know, that we have discovered antibiotics from nature primarily. So uh, there are natural antibiotics that is present. However, um, it would be curious to know whether or not those microbial population also can become resistant to synthetic antibiotics, for example, tetracycline or, um, you know, the ciprofloxacin, the modern day antibiotics that are currently in use. How do you test for that? Culturing the bacteria in their stool and exposing them to antibiotics? Yes. So we have the uh, fecal sample. We utilize fecal material and we have the fecal sample, uh, which we use to collect the total DNA total genomic DNA, and we sequence them to identify the microbial population uh, present in that fecal material. Therefore, uh, we have the composition of microbiome, um, microbial population in the hunter-gatherer population gut. And then um, we also can selectively culture the bacterial population and then expose them to different level of antibiotics and see whether or not they have resistance toward uh, uh, modern, modern antibiotics and also what is the extent of it. At the same time, we can uh, sequence the whole genome of this bacteria to and to and identify the genes which are already known to be involved in resist uh, involved in uh, you know conferring resistance to antibiotics so that's how we link that whether or not these bacteria are first resistant to antibiotics and if so what are the genes we find that would um, actually um, relate to the observed level of antibiotics that we have uh, we see Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration in memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. 
The truth is, there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. So what are you observing so far when you compare the exposure to the bacteria and the undergatherers very quickly become resistant or are they slower or not at all? Um, so in our, in my first, uh, study, first project, we have identified, um, that bacterial population in hunter-gatherer, um, population, bacterial community in uh, hunter-gatherer population has antibiotic resistance genes present. And, uh, when we selectively culture the bacterial population, uh, specifically Escherichia coli, we saw that uh, there are bacteria who can become, who can tolerate the antibiotic to the level of clinical level of resistance. So uh, they do confer resistance. They do have means to become resistant to antibiotics, which are uh, synthetic or, uh, you know, industrial antibiotics. So, okay, that was your first study. What I mean, are you seeing any patterns or what, what does this tell you about the, uh, not only, well, I guess the composition probably is very different. I wonder if it's a fair comparison to, uh, you know, urban populations, uh, bacteria. Um, so we do see a pattern. We do identify that observed antibiotic resistance correlates to the presence of antibiotic resistance gene that we have known to be involved in antibiotic resistance in diverse uh, bacteria. At the same time, we have also identified instances where the observed antibiotic resistance that uh, we see, um, it does not directly correlate with the presence or absence of uh, genetic marker that is linked to that resistance, meaning that um, we do not see a specific uh, antibiotic resistance gene that we could relate to the observed resistance in these bacteria. Well, when bacteria are resistant, do they just upregulate up- existing genes? Do they, uh, I mean, do they rearrange their genes and that's how they become resistant? Like, what, what's the origin of the antibiotic resistant genes? Well, there are a lot of different mechanisms that is involved in um, antibiotic resistance in bacteria. And upregulating is gene, uh, upregulating antibiotic resistance gene is one way of utilizing the mechanism um, to become resistant toward, that, uh, toward different antibiotics. For, uh, for example, there are genes which can pump out the antibiotics for, from inside um, of the bacteria, from the cytoplasm. So in that cases, those uh, transporters, those genes can be upregulated, that means they can be overexpressed in response to antibiotics and bacteria can become resistant. Uh, The same way there are genes which can modify either the antibiotic or the target of the antibiotic, and all these genes can be um, activated, upregulated, or uh, yeah, somehow become um, active through um, 
you know, regulatory processes that is present in bacteria and confer the resistance to the drug. Okay, so um, again, what's the predominant way that bacteria are resistant? And is that way different in the hunter-gatherer populations versus the urban ones? Like, what have you observed? Um, we see a lot of transporters uh, that is known, even in clinical samples, to be involved in um, antibiotic resistance, one of the major contributing factors. But I would not uh, say that that's, that would be... Um, the only mechanism that would play a role in uh, observed resistance. But that is one of the major uh, mechanisms of resistance that we observe in our, um, uh, in the microbial population in hunter-gatherer as well. Uh, at the same time, we also find enzymes uh, which can modify the antibiotics or the antibiotic targets um, that uh, confer and therefore confer resistance to antibiotics. So it's hard to pinpoint just one mechanism, one dominant mechanism that is involved in overall antibiotic resistance. Antibiotics are uh, chemicals which has different conformation and they come from different groups. They, they target different components in bacteria. Therefore, the bacteria as well utilize different types or different mechanisms to uh, become resistant uh, to those drugs. So they differ from uh, antibiotic to antibiotic um, to, and in some cases from bacteria to bacteria. Well, where do you take it from here? So it doesn't seem to be a predominant mechanism. Um, I mean, what are you hoping that this will, will tell you? That, I don't know, our bacteria have evolved along with us and now they're predisposed towards being resistant and they're going to get even worse? Or like, what, what, what are you learning from this? So, so far we have learned that uh, one of the knowledge that is being established in the field and we kind of um, add to that information is antibiotic resistance genes are ubiquitous in nature. Uh, we do have some idea about the extent of those genes in ancestral microbiome population uh, through studying the hunter-gatherer gut microbiome. and. Um, in my, um, uh, it, so um, I believe that the research that we are conducting would give us an idea of how the, what was the state of antibiotic resistance? What was, was the scope and extent of antibiotic resistance in the gut of our ancestors? And then uh, how the lifestyle choices have impacted the evolution of those antimicrobial resistance genes in such a way that um, we have extremely resistant bacteria, uh, clinically relevant bacteria uh, that is present today. So that way we will be able to do an intervention and manage the bacterial infection in such a way that our research with, would lay a foundation on understanding the selection pressure that has led to current day uh, antibiotic resistance problem. And therefore, it would allow us to um, do an intervention and find where we can make that intervention to manage the antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections. Well, yeah, I would think that uh, naive microbes would uh, 
I don't know. They can either become resistant as quickly as non-naive ones or less quickly, which is probably what I would suspect. I don't think it would be more quickly. But, I mean, again, what does that tell you? Unless the mechanism is different, I don't know. I mean, how do you think you could find cures or remedies or new ways to attack current bacteria? Maybe there's a novel way that naive bacteria form antibiotic resistance. Maybe that gives you a clue. I don't know. And how, how do you imagine that you'll find a, a novel way to defend against AR? So the antibiotic resistant genes are present everywhere in the environment or in the host environment, um, in the natural, natural environment or in the host environment. We know that by now. However, how, what is the source of the, those antibiotic resistance, whether or not they are always present in pathogenic bacteria? Um, if not, then who are the carriers of those genes and what makes them to transfer those genes to the pathogenic bacteria? What kind of selection pressure is mediating that transfer? What is the molecular mechanism of those uh, transferring those genes um, these are essential questions that we need to understand in order to make that intervention. You know, uh, because if we understand that who contributes to this transfer and what are the selection pressure, it would be easy to intervene the process of transferring those genes to pathogenic bacteria. Because I mean, supposedly they get the uh, the resistance genes from other bacteria that have them, right? And I mean, bacteria, I would think, exchange through plasmids and other means all the time. And the pressure, supposedly, is, you know, is not wanting to die. <laughs> not the case. Yes, you could say that. Um, so um, we don't know the whole story yet. We have some um, insight into the transfer mechanism. Uh, yes, we do. But when we are studying an ancestral gut, we get to see that whether or not these bacteria, these genes were, uh, you know, present in some bacteria that, um, you know, that those are not pathogenic at all. And uh, they just carry these genes. And when there is a selection pressure, then that that's when they transfer these uh genes to the pathogenic bacteria and I mean, is, isn't there a library of bacterial genes i would think there would be and let's say it's an efflux pump uh, you know that's associated with some kinds of resistance and you know have people looked through the library of bacteria genes to look for efflux pumps across a whole bunch of strains and species and you know bacterial types to find them and maybe then you can do like a uh, you know, like a phylogeny of the efflux pump for instance yes that's true um, so the efflux pumps are not necessarily, uh, actually they are not uh, dedicated and antibiotic resistance genes. They are part of the bacteria uh, for, uh, you know, for the regular bacterial physiological processes like getting rid of toxic metabolites from the bacteria. So they were there, they were present in bacteria from well before the antibiotic was discovered or well before we could industrialize our use of antibiotics, right? So uh, the question that we ask is what, uh, you know, in what situation these efflux pumps have been like, you know, dominantly became involved in extruding antibiotic. Uh, 
Um, is it only antibiotic or other lifestyle choices that may contribute in, uh, you know, diverting the focus of these efflux pumps from just extruding the uh, toxic metabolites to uh, extruding the antibiotic antibiotics that uh, the bacteria is exposed to? Well, yeah, right. Efflux pumps are one thing, but uh, I mean, what? What's another type of mechanism for resistance? So that is hardening of the, the bacterial wall, or what? The antibiotic resistance, uh, the antibiotic modifying enzymes are uh, the other other major contributor in antibiotic resistance. For example, the current day beta lactam resistance that we see in a lot of. Uh, bacterial pathogen. It is due to the beta-lactamases and evolving, um, you know, new category of uh, beta-lactamases that make the bacteria more and more uh, resistant toward all these uh, antibiotics. So antibiotic modifying enzymes are um, one of the one of the major contributor in antibiotic resistance of bacteria. Okay, well, so do you feel like you're getting close to understanding at least the origin of some of the uh, the resistance genes? I mean, what what indicators are you getting right now? So it's our understanding of genes involved in antibiotic resistance um, has been, um, you know, advanced quite a bit. However, through my study, what I have gathered is we do lack um, we do lack the understanding of molecular mechanisms that is involved in antibiotic resistance um, in bacterial population that is in um, in in the population in um, a, an environment that is unexposed to antibiotics. So, um, in another way, our uh, investigation and understanding of molecular mechanisms of antibiotics is um, heavily relied on clinical samples or studying uh, clinically relevant model organisms uh, which are pathogenic. So when I did my study, I have um, discovered that when we do an alignment of observed resistance and the genomic markers, which are already known to be uh, involved in resistance to that particular group of antibiotic, we do see discordance between the genomic marker and the observed resistance for uh, several antibiotics. So that tells us that we still need to, in, to understand the molecular mechanism. We need to include the microbial population who are naive to modern. That way we can fill the gap in knowledge and have an unbiased look um, at the overall antimicrobial resistance gene uh, presence in in a defined niche. Well, I mean, it's not really the niche if you're including uh, bacteria that really aren't present in, in most of the people now. But it still would tell you, I'm sure, a lot about uh, prevalence of these genes regardless in background population. Well, uh, not necessarily. We are studying the Escherichia coli population. So we are actually focusing on the bacteria that is clinically relevant and um, has been studied um, extensively in clinical setting. Therefore, it's comparable. Then we can compare the genomic background of the bacteria that we are finding from an antibiotic knife population and also 
the information that is available for antibiotic exposed industrial population. That way we can, we can have a comparative uh, view of genotype and phenotype concordance and discordance uh, for antibiotic resistance in this bacteria. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your research and to, uh, to ask questions? Where can they go? Well, um, I have my LinkedIn profile or my email address, and they can definitely um, shoot me an email. I have um, the Google Scholar account where I have my published research uh, available. And then I work with uh, a multidisciplinary research group, uh, Laboratory of Molecular Anthropology and Microbiome Research. So they are a research group um, that is present here at University of Oklahoma, and they have their website. And uh, people can definitely look into our group's research through the web pages and the current, uh, you know, discoveries or publications that comes out um, or reach out to my PIs or me about the research that we do. Okay, very good. Basharmali, thanks for coming. It's, yeah, I know it's a complicated topic, but I appreciate you explaining it. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Magnesium is integral for 600 plus biochemical processes in the human body. And yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration and memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.